Let's pray together, and then we're going to jump back into Ephesians. Father, we are your people. We are gathered here under your name, under the banner of the gospel and Holy Spirit. Because we are gathered in your name, because you have brought us together, we trust that you are in us and you're working among us. So, Lord Jesus, we pray that you would do right now in us what we can't do for ourselves. That you would sustain and keep our faith. That you would uphold us. That you would speak to us. May we hear in our ears a word saying, this is the way to go, walk in it. And then give us the hands and feet that are willing to obey this morning. We are your people. And so we desperately need you. We are not independent of you. We need you. So move among us this morning and speak to us and lead us. Help us to be obedient. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're jumping back into Ephesians and we pick up in Ephesians 3, 1 to 13 today. And, and boy, I sure wish I could tell you we're slick enough to build the preaching schedule just like this, but we're not. And, uh, and, and you know, we finished up uh, starting the new year revisiting our DNA and talking about our DNA. And it is K. DSC, right? KDSC, Kingdom Disciples Society Church. Man, I might need to re-preach that. That was weak. That was bad. I'm a little nervous. <laughs> Whoa! KDSC, Kingdom Disciples Society Church. The DNA, the genetic code that produces the outward manifestation of who we are as Three Rivers Community Church. And if you missed last week on the church, listen to it online. You need to make sure you get that piece. Because what's really cool is that if I were like really sharp on a plan, it just like it's happening, but I didn't. And so that lets you know it has to be the Lord, not me. Because this passage where we pick back up leads us into this glorious reality of the church. So we're back ending the the talk on the church with Ephesians talk on the church. Beautiful. It's amazing. So thank you, Lord Jesus, for pulling that off. And so, the mystery of the gospel and its works. You're following along, along on the blog. You can see that title there, Ephesians 3, 1 to 13. And, uh, and let me just read for you the passage. And then we're going to come in there and, um, and deal with it. And a glorious passage. Ephesians 3, 1 through 13. For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to uh, me for you, How the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I've written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men and the other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church... The manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your 
glory. Ephesians 3, 1 to 13. In our last look into Ephesus, Josh was preaching for us as we led into Advent. And he was preaching through chapter 2. And we were beginning to observe in chapter 2 what Paul is going to describe here in chapter 3 as a mystery. This word in English can trip us up. Because we have the impression, we think mystery, we think Agatha Christie, Sherlock Holmes. Which is not exactly the, the, the picture nor the intention of the word's use in the New Testament. In the New Testament, the word mystery means something that is beyond natural knowledge. But, and there's a but here, but it has now been revealed to us through the word and by the spirit. It's something that was previously unknown, but now has been made known to God's people. In other words, the Freedom Information Act of the gospel has come in the person of Christ. The curse has been broken. And now this information in Christ is freely available to all who will see it. As Jesus would say, he who has ears to hear, hear. And so this mystery that Paul has been hinting at in chapter 2, he's coming into chapter 3 and he's going to lay it open for us so that it's totally clear on what this mystery of the gospel is. Let's take a look at the hints from chapter 2 because they're, they're there and he's just going to lay it open in chapter 3, but the hints are beautiful. And Josh has done an awesome job already at presenting this to us. But I want to back up and set the stage by seeing what he has said already so that we can get it in its full-orbed context. The first hint is Ephesians 2.10, where he says, and if you're following along on the blog, you can see that I've got italicized and underlined key words here. He says, for we, not I, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Now, you remember when we started Ephesians, we looked through all the places where in Christ is in Ephesians, and it's loaded because in Christ is big here. It's a big deal. So we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus. We, not I. And, and there's nothing wrong with emphasizing the I-ness of this, but that's not the intent of verse 10. The intent of verse 10 is that we, all of us together, are His workmanship. Meaning the we is what He's working on. That He has produced. This is big. We are His workmanship. Well, we're created in Christ Jesus. So the we only exists in Christ. That's big. And we in Christ are His workmanship for good works. God's prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Well, who is this we? That's a great question. Verse 13 of chapter 2. But now in Christ, again in Christ, you, plural, who were once far off, have now been brought near by the blood of Christ. So you, plural, out there, were once far off, but now in Christ, you, plural, have been brought near. Well, who's the plural you that is part of the workmanship, who were now near, who was once far off? Well, verse 14 to 16 of chapter 2, For He Himself is our peace. Well, where was there not peace? And who's the hour since Jesus is our peace now? Who has made both of us one. Ooh. So we were once not one, but now we are one because we are His workmanship in Christ. We were far off, but now we've been brought near. And He has made peace. And the two of us are now one. And has broken down in His flesh 
the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments, expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man. So there's, there's one new man, there's one new creation made up of the two who's now one because he's broken down the hostility because we were once far off and he's brought us near and we are one in Christ and we're his workmanship. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body. Whoa, one body. The two of us now one, one body. Broken down the hostility. Some were far off, they've been brought near, and that's in Christ, and we are a workmanship. Wow. You feeling it? The mystery becoming clear? You're like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. Hang tight. Verse 19 to 22. So then, so then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. You're not strangers. You're a fellow citizen with all the saints because we are one body one new man hostilities broken down one in christ together workmanship in christ jesus and by the way the word members and this is a little grammar nerd note the the word members in verse 19 here through verse 22 is supplied in english to make sense of the loan word house if you're reading it literally it would be for you are uh, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and House of the Lord. So that kind of sounds weird in English. So in English we say members of the household of God. So that you get the idea that we're members of the house of God. Does that make sense? If not, just go with me there. Trust me. And it's built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. In whom, in Jesus, the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. So this holy temple is one new man made out of the two who's no longer two but one and they're in Christ and they're a workmanship and there's no longer hostility but they're at peace with one another. And then in Him you're also being built in the dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Those are all the hints in chapter 2. So what's the mystery? What is the mystery? Well, Paul reveals it for us. The mystery of the gospel in chapter 3 Verse 1 to 6. Paul begins chapter 3 with the intent to pray for the Ephesians. But he digresses back to the mystery of chapter 2 so that he can be clear on what he's writing to them. Now we know this is the digression, and this is super important. Some of your translations have at the end of verse 1 a dash. Do you see that? If you've got an ESV, you have a dash there. Who's using ESV? All right. Anybody using something else? That's cool. If you're using something else, is there a dash at the end of yours? Okay, this is why that dash is there. This is important. That dash is there because verse 2 doesn't match the thought of verse 1. Alright? He picks up on a totally different subject in verse 2. So he starts to pray for them in verse 1. And he digresses back to this mystery that he's been hinting at in chapter 2. Now we know the intent is to pray because if you flip over to verse 14... He once again comes back to the prayer. And he says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. So the reason in 3.1 and the reason in 3.14 is the same reason that he's hinting at in chapter 2. Right? You tracking? 
But Paul digresses back to chapter 2 to be clear. Now this is kind of important. It's not really so much germane to the point this morning as much as it is to help build your hope and the authenticity of what you have in front of you. This not so smooth writing, and it's not real smooth. I wouldn't grade him real well here. Alright? If you're writing a paper for me and you did that, points off. Alright? This not so smooth writing is a built-in indicator of the letter nature of this authentic work of Paul because it's not a stylized, smooth paper written to make it look like Paul had written it, which so many say is the case in much of the New Testament. Paul's writing this letter in real time. And it's not like he's got 500 sheets of notebook paper for three cents from Staples. He just crumples up a piece and throws it away and starts over because it's not good enough. It's like, hey, this stuff's expensive and it's... It's not like you just start over. So Paul digresses back to the content of chapter 2 in this mystery so that he can make clear, okay, I'm going to pray for you, but before I pray for you, what I've been talking about in chapter 2, this amazing stuff, the two are one in Christ and the hostility's broken and there's one new man and we're, in, and we're in the same body. Before I pray for you, let me tell you explicitly what I mean. And that's what we have in verse 2 through verse 13. So Paul begins his digression in chapter two, or chapter three, verse two to five, by explaining how this revelation of this mystery came to him. We're not going to spend time on that because I want to get to the mystery. So, what is the mystery of the gospel? What is the mystery of the gospel? Let me summarize it with the hints from chapter two. We, God's people, are His workmanship, and we have been brought near. And the two divided people that He has recreated into the one new man, they are in Christ. And they're no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens and members of the household of God with Jesus Himself the cornerstone. And we are growing into a holy temple in the Lord and being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Boiled down, here it is. The mystery is that Father in Christ Jesus has made a new people in unity, out of what used to be separate people. That's the mystery. That the Father in the Son has now made one new people out of what used to be separate people and He's brought them together in one body. Guess what that body's called? The church. That's the mystery. At the fall, things fractured and broke. We know this. And eventually at Babel, the nations were separated and segregated due to the fall and their continuing rebellion. But in redemption, the Lord Jesus chose Abraham to be a blessing to all the families that are now fractured at Babel. So that all the families of the earth who are now divided would once again, through the work of Christ, in this covenant that God is making with Abraham, would once again be one people as they were at the beginning. In the fullness of time, Jesus comes to die and secure salvation for all those the Father has given Him from all the families of the earth. And He rose in order to secure their salvation from all the families of the earth and unite them in one people, one nation, one community, one community of the kingdom of God, the church. In verse 6, Paul gets down to the nitty-gritty of this identity. And the Ephesians are Gentiles. They're not 
Jewish people. They're outsiders. And part of the problem with Paul's ministry is that those inside Judaism have problems with Gentiles coming in. And so Paul is writing to this Ephesian church full of Gentiles to remind them that you're not outsiders, you are insiders. You're part of this workmanship in Christ Jesus because there once were two Jews and Gentiles, but that's gone. You're now the church. You're the people of God in Christ. And so in verse 3 or chapter 3 verse 6, Paul uses some words to describe those who are outside but are now inside. Listen to verse 6. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs. And by the way, every one of us in this room is a Gentile. This is really good news for you and I. Really good news. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs. Members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Each of these three words is one word. Like these, these three pieces, fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promises in Christ are all, each of them, one word. I'm not going to get too grammatically crazy on you here. But the three components of what we are now in Christ as one man is we as Gentiles are fellow heirs. It literally means we are with heirs. We are heirs with Christ. In other words, we've been brought near into the body. This mystery is that we Gentiles are also members of the same body. This word is fun because it, here's, here's you a word. Josh gave you a, a word with friends. I'm going to give you another fun big Bible theology word. Hapex legomenon. That's a fun word. That means this word is only used here. There's no context for this word ever being used anywhere else in the New Testament or anywhere else. In other words, Paul made up a word to help us see who we are now as people having been brought near. We are fellow members of the body. One. We are fellow heirs. We are fellow members. And then we are fellow partakers. In this mystery, Gentiles are partakers in the promise of Jesus Christ. Awesome. So what do we take from this? Well, we take a few things that are very important. Number one, there's no segregation of race in the church. So therefore, we work for reconciliation. There's no such thing as them and us. There are no thems and there are no uses. Because it's one body. This glorious reality of the church is not intended to be segregated by race. Jew and Gentile now are one. That distinction... As far as the body is wiped out. Do we maintain our distinctions? Yes. But what we do is we lay that distinction aside as of apex importance. And it becomes secondary importance because our identity is no longer white, black, Hispanic, Asian. It is Christ. And then underneath that our distinction comes together as how beautiful what God has done in taking all this uniqueness and making it one. So there's no segregation in the church by race. We work for reconciliation. The church and our adopted people group will not be rightly discipled until it looks like a church that has all the people groups in that geopolitical region worshiping together, not separate. 
It's not enough that the church would look like blank people group. But it looks like the church equals all those people groups who are Christ's in that region. Does it make sense? Are we finished with the Great Commission in the West? Look around you. No, we're not. Because if we are one in Christ, and this mystery is that we Gentiles are fellow partakers of the promised in Christ, and the wall of division has been broken down in Jesus, and, and the two are now one, then there is no racial segregation. We're one. We're Christ. This, this is a missiology 101. So not in the notes. But that's how you begin to understand Babel in Genesis. Babel is the consequence of man seeking the praise of his own name and failing to obey God's command to fill the earth and subdue it. So what does God do? In judgment, he confuses their language, separates them by nations, and they fill the earth. And then the very next two chapters, he calls Abraham to go be a missionary to them that they may then come back to the Edenic state of one in Christ. And that's the work of redemption. And that's what Jesus came to, to send us out on a mission for, is to preach this gospel of in Him we become one in the church from all nations. This is why when we're together with believers from other nations, we can worship together because we are Christ's first. There's richness there. There's richness there. Number two, what truth do we take from this fact of this beautiful mystery of the gospel? Well, there's no segregation of age in the church. So we work for unity. There's no such thing, should never be such thing as this 52 to 75 Sunday school class. And then the 13 to 18 Sunday school class, right? Why? Because there is no distinction. There is no such thing as young people, old people. Christ's. Christ's. Those type of segregations work for disunity, not unity. And we see it in the West. We know the goofy stories, right? What kind of worship y'all have? Y'all got that young people stuff or that old people stuff? Which one is it? Uh, well, it's kind of weird. A little bit of both. Sometimes a banjo. Sometimes you'll hear Lecrae. Not real sure what you want to call it. Eclectic may be a good word. Why? Because there's no segregation of age in the church, so we work for unity. We talked about this last week. People with maturity have things to teach some of us fools. And some of us fools have some life we can bring to people with maturity. So we work for unity. Amen? Or oh me. I need to go somewhere else. They play more of that hip-hop stuff. What else? What do we take from this truth? Well, number three, there's no segregation of economic disparity in the church, so we work for equality. There's no such thing as a white-collar church and a blue-collar church or a gray-collar church. There's Christ's. Christ's. This has effect on how we do ministry. You see, we don't seek to segregate radical life groups by age or demographic. We want them to take the shape of whatever Holy Spirit is doing. Christ's belonging to Jesus. And wherever the landmark falls, we trust Holy Spirit to do that. We don't seek to provide ministry that allows people to disengage from their responsibilities. The church isn't a 
glorified babysitting service where you come and drop your kids off so that you can go have some free time. No. It is a place you come to engage in discipling and training and equipping because we are all Christ's together. So that's one of the reasons we have parents working radical kids. It's not a place to disengage from discipling your children. It's a place to engage in discipling your children, be equipped to do so, and help us disciple each other. Why? Because there's no segregation. It affects ministry. Paul does not end, though, this section by simply telling us there's mystery. He doesn't do that. Paul actually gets a little practical here. Because in verse 7 to 13, Paul tells us about the ministry of the mystery of the gospel. So in verse 1 through 6, we've learned about this mystery of the gospel. And then in verse 7 through 13, we learn about the ministry of the mystery of the gospel. This is exciting. Verse 7 through 13. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. Which is why Paul traveled planting what? Churches. That that, that was his deal. I've been made a minister of this good news, this glorious news that in Christ, the two are now one. And so what do I want to do with that? I want to make sure there's as many of those oneness, one body, multi-ethnic, Jesus-centered things everywhere I go. So Paul went about planting churches everywhere he could see the gospel flourish and establish. Which is why these letters in the New Testament to the churches of Galatia, to the Ephesians, to the Colossians, to the Corinthians, right? Because he said, I've, this gospel is made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which is given to me by the working of His power. Verse 8, To me... Though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. So the very first ministry of this gospel, this mystery of the gospel, we find in verse 8, and here it is, to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. That's our first ministry. To preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Of Christ. This word unsearchable literally means the riches that can't be tracked. In other words, we're to preach to those outside the kingdom the untrackable riches of Jesus. That's not neat and clean, though, is it? That's not show up and have a like have a nice little dinner and then do something and move on, is it? That's you mean i got to open my mouth and talk about the glories of Jesus to people who don't know Jesus? Yes. That's our first ministry. It's to tell those who aren't part of the community of the kingdom about this glorious community of the kingdom in Christ and how unsearchable and untrackable the riches are in Him. Man, that's amazing. In other words, there's a few little things out of verse 8 here. Our scope is the Gentiles. In other words, all nations, all peoples. In other words, there's nobody that should be X'd off of our list to tell about the unsearchable riches of Christ. We should be spouting about the unsearchable and trackable riches of Christ to any and every outsider who will give us an ear. That's ministry number one. Our message is that Jesus always enriches life and never subtracts from life. I just want to say this, and I want to be gentle on how I say it. 
If for you Jesus pulls away from life, you are not in Christ. You are still dead in your sins and you actually view there as gain to be had in this world system that's fallen. And you need to repent and believe the gospel. Our message is that Jesus enriches life. He never subtracts from life. Paul says the unsearchable, the untrackable riches of Christ. So anybody who will give us an ear who's not in the kingdom, we're to tell them that Jesus enriches everything. We're to proclaim the message of the enriching work of Jesus in all of life and all domains of society. Listen, there's no domain where Jesus doesn't enrich all of life. Jesus supplies relational riches in all domains. Jesus supplies saving riches in all domains. Jesus supplies sanctifying riches in all domains. Jesus supplies practical riches in all domains. Jesus supplies eternal riches in all domains. Paul said, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So listen, guys. If you're looking for a ministry, go tell people who aren't in the community of the kingdom about the riches of Christ. And I don't mean this, and listen to me, don't hear cheesy evangelism. Don't, don't, don't take what I just said and translate that into some cheesy method of trying to get somebody to pray a prayer. Okay? I'm talking something deeper and richer here. That the words coming out of my mouth in the hearing of those who are in the community of the kingdom is about the riches of Christ. Ryan Corbett talked about when he was here with us a few weeks before they left to go back. Measure your words and, and come up with salty statements about the glory of Christ and the riches of Jesus. Speak them on purpose about the riches of Christ. But in order to do that, you've got to know experientially that Jesus really is better. If Jesus isn't better, you can't speak of Him as better. He'll always be secondary. And if Jesus is secondary, it means He's not primary. If He's not primary, He's not king. If He's not king, you need to be saved. Listen, when you know that Jesus is better, it's not hard to speak of Him as better. Right? I have, been, I have won more converts to Aldi and the car line. Because Aldi is glorious. Aldi will save you a third on your grocery budget. And it's amazing, will it not? Jennifer's like, yes, praise God. She sings the praises of Aldi. Aldi has saved the Jolly household. And I tell people, man, you go, you go into Aldi, you got to put a quarter in to get your cart, but you get your quarter back. They save money by not wrecking carts. And you bag your own stuff, but... That means your grocery budget's not wrecked. Meaning you can make it another month. You going there? I've never heard of Aldi. Poston, you need to go. Poston's been converted. We're talking what? See, he's raised worshiping. <laughs> They're going to Aldi. Listen, why do I speak of Aldi? Because it saved my home. My budget is intact. Listen, I speak of that because it has done something for me. Listen, and that's a little cheesy example, but I really mean it. Aldi's amazing. You should go. <laughs> but Jesus really is better. If I understand and know Jesus as better than Aldi, why do I keep Him inside of my mouth? 
fearful of speaking the riches, the untrackable riches of knowing Christ. Listen, man, I'm convinced that needs to be spoken more among people who call themselves Christians right now than it does among those who don't know. Because my hunch is, here in the West, this room is loaded with people who really don't believe Jesus is better. Jesus is what I do on Sunday to make me feel better about the crap I've done all week. And when I placated my conscience, I'll go back to my vomit tomorrow. That's not what it means to be a Christian. In order for me to speak of the unsearchable riches of Christ, I have to know Him as untrackably better. Can't can't even measure it. Graphs off the charts. He's amazing. It's amazing. You gotta know that. You gotta know that. You gotta taste that. And taste that. We will have that as our ministry. One of the beautiful things I love about this church is you do that. You do that. Now, the problem is we live in Rome, Georgia. Right? I get it. And if you live in Rome long enough, you've been here long enough, you know what that's like. Because everybody's a Christian. Everybody, including the Buddhist guy running the store. Right? He's got Jesus next to his little Buddha. and so Everybody's a Christian. Well, the problem is they don't understand what it means to be a Christian. This is post-Christian South. But it is our first ministry. Speak of the riches of Christ. That's number one. Do you know Him? That's better. I hope you do. Number two. Number two. The ministry of the mystery. Found in verse 9. Listen to what he says. And this is a continuation of the sentence, okay? It's a, it's a longer sentence. So we preach the unsearchable riches of Christ to all those Gentiles and to bring to light for everyone. What's the scope? Everyone. What's the goal? To bring to light. Bring to light what? For everyone. What is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things? In other words... The ministry of the mystery is we're to tell everybody, tell the world about Jesus' church. Tell the world about this mystery that has now been revealed that in Christ we're one. You're not one yet because you're on the outside, but Jesus says to you, you can come on the inside. How do I come on the inside? Repent and believe the gospel. What's the good news? And you drop the G-bomb on them and watch Holy Spirit go to work, Right? We are to tell the world about this glorious, unifying mystery of God that He has brought about in Christ. We're to bring to light this plan of God to create a new people from all nations called the church. The God who chose to create all things chose to create a new people comprised of Jew and Gentile in one body with one leader. Kent Hughes, in his little commentary on Ephesians, And on this passage calls the people of God made of many nations the third race. Meaning that the people of God are no longer just their ethnic background, but their ethnic distinction is now subject to the identity of the kingdom of God. And they are now, once who were many, one. This mystery has been revealed. And it's to be told far and wide. So what's a little point of application for that? Listen, this is crazy. This is going to sound sound like, wow, invite people to come to church. Invite people to come to church. I've said in the past that's not the best idea strategically, and I think I have to repent from that. 
I've said in the past, you know, there's no reason for an unbeliever to come to church. They don't worship Jesus yet. Preach the gospel to them, then bring them to church. And then, then I've started thinking on that. And I think that's dumb. I told you I'm dumb. Not that smart. Silver Creek, I mean, what, are you gonna, what else do you expect? Can anything good come out of Silver Creek? I don't think so. I'm a fool. But you know what the reality is? When you invite people to come into the community of the kingdom of God, this is a place where the supernatural work taking place. Why not invite them? Worse, I mean, they're already not in the kingdom. Might as well at least try, right? If God intends for this glorious mystery to be revealed to all people, then tell them. Man, I go worship over here at this little place. And I know you're not into Jesus, but just come with me. It'll be strange, be weird, but what else are you going to do, right? Football season's over after next week. I mean, it's the dead period of sports. Like, come on, man, come with me. Just invite them. It's okay. No, the church itself won't save the rebel, but there's no better community where the gospel is being spoken of and adhered to than the community of the kingdom of God. Just bring them. Bring your friends. It'll be okay. God intends for us to tell the world about this mystery of Christ and what He's doing among all nations. Number three, the ministry of the mystery. Verse 10. Listen to verse 10. Continuation of the sentence, comma, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Part of this ministry is your and mine, our awareness that our ministry, part of the ministry is we need to be aware. You hear that? We need to be aware. So part of the ministry is we need to be aware that our ministry proclaims the wisdom of God to the spiritual authorities. We hit this a little more at length last week. So let me give you a little bit of different spin on it. Kent Hughes. Here, verse 10, it will help us to imagine a cosmic drama. The theater is history. Stage is the world. The actors are the church. The writer is God, who also directs and produces the drama. And the audience? Cosmic beings. Cosmic beings. Listen to John Stott. John Stott, great dead old saint. In his book, God's New Society. Listen to John Stott. The history of the Christian church is the graduate school for angels. It is through the old creation that God reveals His glory to humans. It is through the new creation, the church, that He reveals His wisdom to angels. I told you last week there's more going on here than your eye sees. There's deeper reality taking place right now. As a matter of fact... 1 Peter 1, 10-12 says that angels long to look into this glorious mystery of the church. Literally, the language in 1 Peter 1, 10-12 says the angels stoop to see. They are stooped over in their realm looking into the glorious work of the Father to make a new mankind out of people from all nations under the headship of His Son, Jesus Christ. That's awesome. That's more than I can explain with the language that I have and know. But Paul just said in verse 10 that through this mysterious, this mysterious work of God bringing together into one body all these people, angels don't, they don't, they don't know, they haven't had this proclaimed to them. They're stooping over looking, whoa, it's amazing. And, and isn't it funny how easy it is to take this, 
work of the church for granted. Angels long, they're stooping, bending over to look. Oh my gosh, he's getting it done. There are people from many nations gathered there. How did this happen? Oh, Jesus did it, right. Creator, Jesus. Awesome. This lets us know a few things. It lets us know church is central to history. God's been building His church since Adam and Eve. Church is central in history. God bringing together people from all nations into one body who He will unite in Jesus Christ. Church is central to our preaching of the gospel. What happens when people get saved? From What happens when people come into the kingdom? They just go on and do their thing? No. They're brought into the community of the kingdom of God. We, we hit that last week. And then the church is central to Christian living. Listen, guys, it, sometimes it's easy to look at preacher, the, the guy who does the most talking, and think, oh, his faith is big. Not really. Not really. I go through seasons where I'm on the verge of walking away. I'm an analytical, critical thinker. I'm an introvert who internally processes all things. And there are many, many times where I'm just on the verge and don't get it, don't want to get it, and I'm done. And you know what fixes it for me? It's not Bible study. I'm sorry. I talk about Bible study a lot, and I do it. Sometimes it is my lifeline, but you know what works? You know what just works? Just walking into this room and having another believer speak to me in the name of the Lord. And I feel internally that quotient of faith start to creep up a little bit. I feel life start to come back into my soul. When we sing, I feel life beginning to come into my soul. Why? Because in the community of the kingdom, Holy Spirit is active and working. When I'm isolated, I'm, I'm deadly to myself. Just am. This mystery of the kingdom of God being brought together in the church gives great significance to our engagement in the church and it needs to drive our desire to be part of the community of the kingdom isn't it cool that the hosts of heaven are stooping down to look in on us right now that's great now if you're a naturalist and you're just totally living this world and no concept of the supernatural you're just like ah whatever i'm done but if you like christian walking in the text of scripture you realize this supernatural stuff man right now the hosts of heaven are going that's cool don't take that for granted Fourth, the ministry of the mystery, verse 11. He says, this was according to the eternal, what is this? This, this, this glorious work of the church, Jew, Gentile, brought together one body, one new man. This was according to the eternal purpose that he's realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. This mystery of one new people, the church, is God's eternal purpose in Christ Jesus. In other words, this ministry is God's eternal purpose in Christ. This is why we say, for the glory of God, we will... Yeah. This is God's purpose. To bring people from all nations into the community of the kingdom, the church. This is God's eternal purpose in Christ. This is why Jesus said, go make disciples of all nations. Why? Because all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. This is what I came to die to achieve. So I have all authority. I'm giving it to you. Go preach this message. Number five, the ministry of the mystery. This is our last point. Verse 13. 
Paul says, so I ask you. I feel bad skipping over verse 12. Let me read verse 12. Continuation of the sentence in verse that began all the way back in verse 8. In whom, in whom Jesus, we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Him. So in Christ, we together have boldness and access to Christ with confidence through our faith in Him. And the verse 13, so I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. I don't think I did this justice, and I, I kind of wrestled with this a little bit this week. I, I honestly could not articulate what I was trying to say here. I, I just couldn't make it come out of the fingers under the keyboard. I'm going to read you what I have. We don't lose when suffering for this ministry because it is our glory. We don't lose if we suffer for this ministry, the mystery of the gospel, because it is our glory. What is our glory? It is our glory to be about this work, and it is to our glory if we suffer for it. Everything in the West tells us we receive glory when we get more. Everything in the West tells us we get glory and God... God is somehow more pleased with us when we don't suffer, when we are healthy. Or it is evidence God is pleased with you when you have more. That is not what Paul said here. He says, so I'm asking you, Ephesians, don't lose heart over what I am suffering for you. There's a great... That, that statement is huge because what Paul is saying is there's a degree for which, Ephesians, you're not suffering, but I am. And the amount of suffering I'm receiving is also for you. Not Paul atoning for them, but what suffering they ought to be going through is being heaped upon him. And so there's a degree of which what Paul is saying here is there's an overwhelming amount of sorrow and burden and suffering on me. And it's suffering you could share, but you're not. It's on me. And what does he say? It's to your glory. It's to your credit. In other words, when we suffer, whether, whether the amount is big or small, for the ministry of the gospel, it's to our glory, not our shame. In other words, it doesn't say anything about our walk with Jesus if we're suffering, except that it is our glory because this is what we were made for. Listen, in a very real sense, the church in the East is suffering for us. They receive amounts of suffering that we can't even fathom. It's to our glory. It's our glory. Somehow, in the economy of God, it is to our glory. It is to the upbuilding of the kingdom. Somehow, in God's economy, that suffering produces glory in us, in them. I don't know what to make of that other than to say when we suffer for the sake of the gospel, it's not to our shame. It's okay. God accomplishes glory in suffering. So don't lose heart if you suffer for this ministry. Don't lose heart. It's to our glory. D.A. Carson, 
says this, verse 13 brings us back to the claim of verse 1, that Paul's imprisonment is for the sake of you Gentiles. His readers might be discouraged that God has allowed this apparent setback, but Paul would rather have them see it as your glory. Why, after all, had he been arrested? It was because he stood for Gentile equality with Jewish believers in the one new creation people of God, Christ's body. Listen, if you suffer for reconciliation's sake, it's our glory. If you suffer for unity, it's for glory. If we suffer for all of the goodness of the mystery of the gospel, it is not to our shame, but to the building up of the kingdom. The ministry of the mystery. Psalm 147.1 says this, Praise the Lord. For it is good to sing praises to our God. For it is pleasant and a song of praise is fitting. Why do we sing? We sing because the Lord says it is fitting and it is pleasant. And He is King and it is only right that we would worship Him. He is the head of the body of the church. And we worship and make much of our King this morning. Praise the Lord through Rivers Community Church. For it is good to sing praises to our God. It is pleasant and a song of praise is just fitting. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the grace of the gospel that has given us faith that we may believe. That we today are here not because we're good enough, because we're smart enough, or because we're intellectually able to generate some type of faith, but because you have been gracious to us, been kind to us. And you have had the good news preached to our ears. And by your grace we have believed. And so we are your people. We're a community of the kingdom. We're part of this great community of your kingdom. So Lord Jesus, we are yours. We belong to you. And so we commit ourselves to you. And we want to come and we want to sing to you because you tell us that's fitting and it's right. And so I pray for help this morning, Holy Spirit, to have a desire to sing praise to your name. I pray for you to generate faith in our souls that would be big enough to sing in spite of any circumstance that walked in the door this morning. Would you overcome any anything that's there to keep us that would keep us from singing and fitly wrapping up our time? Holy Spirit, I pray you'd speak. I pray you'd speak in such a way that we can't miss hearing you. I pray you would give ears that hear. And give grace that we may respond in obedience. Lord, I pray that you would put on a display of glory for the hosts of heaven that are stooping in to look at your majesty and what you have pulled off. Show them your glory. Show us your glory. Make your name great.